Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Hey everybody, it's Brad Williams and Adam Ray for the About Last Night podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by White Cloud e-cigarettes. We're not saying you should start smoking, but if you already do, awesome. And if you've ever wanted to try an e-cigarette, these are the ones to go with. White Cloud e-cigarettes offers over 20 flavors. That's almost as many as Baskin-Robbins. 20 flavors and 6 nicotine strengths. It's cheaper than other e-cigarettes that you'll see at convenience stores and with much more variety. White Cloud e-cigarettes sponsors comedians they've been doing it for over two years now they've also sponsored uh comedy festivals like the boston comedy festival and the orlando indie comedy festival if you've ever been curious about trying an e-cigarette i have well the fling is the low cost no commitment way to do so and the fling offers same day ups shipping on orders before 6 p.m eastern but is there a website? Customers can go to WCECigs.com. That's WCECigs.com. But we want to make sure our listeners get them for cheap. So is there a coupon code? To get 25% off of the order, use the coupon code ALN Podcast. That's ALN Podcast at WCECigs.com to get your White Cloud e cigarettes today. And now enjoy a brand new episode of the About Last Night Podcast with Brad Williams and Adam Ray. Huh? Hey everybody, it's Adam Ray and Brad Williams for the About Last Night podcast. That's right, and an exciting episode today. Uh, Maybe one of uh, my my favorites we've done. I mean, most episodes I I feel like are my favorites because everybody brings a completely different energy to the podcast. I mean, basically the About Last Night podcast is like the dessert bar at a Sizzler. (laughs) It's all good. But you're like you, sometimes you're in the mood for a Sunday, sometimes cake. Today is a get great. Both. Yeah, today everything. Today get pizza, ice cream, and the Sunday. <laughs> oh my God! Well, some, now, you just had a look into Fat Kid Adam and Sizzler. <laughs> <laughs> now we know what you were putting on your pizza. Like you can put M and M's on your pizza. Goddamn right! Unbelievable. Uh, today's guest is uh, made. He's a uh, big comedy director. Um, mm-hmm. Went to USC uh, along with Brad and I. Uh, let's see, you may know him from his work on films like Anger Management, Nutty Professor 2, The Clumps, Naked Gun 33 and a Third, 50 First Dates, yeah. The Grudge with Robert De Niro. Um, holy shit, maybe one of Brad and I's favorite movies of all time and probably yours, Tommy Boy. He directed and Tommy Boy and it's the 20th anniversary. Peter Seagal is our... Peter Seagal. Is... Our guest. If you don't know who Peter Seagal is, well, you you probably do now because you're like, oh, I love all those movies. Those yeah. are all my favorite movies. Yeah. Well, um, he sat down with us. I met Peter. Um, he was uh, he directed the pilot for the Ken Jong uh, pilot that uh, I went out for that we notoriously talked about with Barry Katz that I did not get. <laughs> Thank you, Barry, for jinxing my chances. Nah, you just weren't undeniable, man. <laughs> I said undeniable. I read Brad, but not you, so <laughs> that's what happens. You had an ounce of deny. <laughs> uh, so I hit up uh, Pete on Twitter and uh, and just, you know, said how cool he was, because we had such a good time through the audition process, and uh, I was like, dude, would you come do the podcast? Like, there's so much I'd love to talk to you about, and he couldn't have been a better guest. This motherfucker yeah. uh, 
just the stories from each some of the stories we talk about I mean he even said after the podcast he was like dude guys great questions like I've never been asked most of that shit yeah we got some inside information on Jack Nicholson Eddie Murphy oh, Adam Jim Sandler Carrey. Jim Carrey or uh, Farley. some crazy stories about Farley and I think I've seen maybe every interview about Tommy Boy ever done because yep. I'm so damn in love with this movie and then he revealed some stuff on the podcast I was like holy crap yeah. that, that like put certain scenes into a whole, into a whole new perspective there's a, there's a lot of funny in this podcast because we're all comedians but mm-hmm. um, it, don't be distracted during this podcast yeah. like get a nice glass of Merlot um, unless Adam you're Ray. Paul Giamatti Adam I'm Ray not getting... drinking any fucking Merlot <laughs> Adam Ray getting classy uh, or have you know put a, just have no distractions be in a mm-hmm. comfortable place where you can listen and enjoy because you don't want to miss a moment of some of these stories. I mean, yeah. how he first met Eddie Murphy, the makeup process for for the multiple characters he did on the Clumps, um, being friends with Judd Apatow and writing with him. Or I mean, there's yeah. just so much. It's his dad was had a publicity for MGM and and he uh, got to screen Bond films in his uh, basement. Dude, it's like there's just, it, just, just so so much details. And uh, I'm probably gonna listen to this one back and just kind of just fully. Fully soaking in, so and jerk off. So uh, absolutely, <laughs> uh, follow Peter on Twitter at Pete underscore Segal S E G A L, um, and of course, uh, you know, uh, hit him up and tell him how much you loved him on this podcast. Follow Brad on Twitter at Funny Brad. That's me. Follow me on Twitter at Adam Ray Comedy. Brad, where are you going to be touring coming up? Well, uh, April thirtieth through May third. Oh yeah, wait, no, say the city first. I always forget that. Cleveland, Ohio. That's right. Cleveland rocks. Uh, I'm going to be at the Improv April 30th through May 3rd, and uh, I'll be eating at the Grilled Cheese Sandwich Restaurant called Melt in Cleveland. It's one of my favorite places, so go see me there. Uh, Dayton, Ohio. Dayton Funny Bone, May 7th through uh, May 10th. And then Pittsburgh. I'm coming to the Steel City May 14th through the 16th. But one other important detail, May 8th. Mark it down on your calendars. What's happening May 8th? Is that when the new flavor of Pop-Tart gets introduced? Is that when? Uh, well, I mean that that would be incredible. Is but that when, uh, is that when Mario Lopez uh, leaves extra to join Access Hollywood? What, what? 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 Why is that date so significant in the life of Brad Williams? Well, I will tell you, ladies and gentlemen, podcast fans, on my special, my one-hour comedy special. Thanks. Are, is that a drum roll? Or are you like? What are you doing? I'm having a stroke. <laughs> okay. My one-hour comedy special called Brad Williams Fun Size will debut on Showtime. That's right, on Showtime and the uh, Showtime app. So uh, DVR it, watch it, sit down with the same bottle of Merlot that you sat down to listen to this podcast with, you drunk, (laughs) (laughs) and and, and enjoy my very first uh, one-hour special. I couldn't be more proud. Thanks, buddy. And more excited. Yeah. Uh, And also, I just feel like, uh, hey, man, great hour specials do wonders for people. I'm hoping. Uh, That's all you can do. But also, you know what you did. Mm-hmm. You you were there for it. I was. You were there for the editing process. <laughs> I, I edited it a lot of times myself. Yep. You know how it looks. Yeah. So you're putting out there. The, you have to feel the same thing when, you, when you're auditioning. You got to walk out being like, I gave the best of me for that. So yep. whatever happens, I'll deal with. But at this point... It's pretty clear that when you do shows, people are very receptive to you. So I feel like that's going to be no different from the special. The fans that already love Brad Williams are going to love this. And, hey, man, you're going to get a lot of new fans. And uh, and uh, uh, and just so you know, if you if you didn't if you needed more incentive to wa- to watch my one hour special on Showtime on May eighth, I'm wearing a vest. He's wearing a vest. <laughs> He's it, wearing a vest. It's a midget in a it's vest. A in a vest. Oh God! Save the vest for last. <laughs> How dare you? But you know uh, what? 
never mind. I take back that. How dare you? Save, May, save, save the vest for last. Save it for May 8th. <laughs> May 8th, Showtime, Brad Williams. Fun size. Fun size. Yeah. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, I will be watching that um, in mm-hmm. Scottsdale, Arizona, which is where I will be May 7th, 8th, 9th at the Stand Up Scottsdale Comedy Club in Scottsdale, Arizona. Great club. Uh, get your tickets at standupscottsdale.com. And then come see me in Vancouver, B.C. at the Comedy Mix uh, May 21st through the 23rd. That's in downtown Vancouver, the Comedy Mix. Come see me. Comedymix.com for all the tickets. And, of course, Laugh Factory, Comedy Story Improv when I'm in town. All those tour dates are at adamraytv.com. Speaking of dot-coms, head over to a store at merchandise.com because right. we got some ABL and merch. New mugs and new shirts are up. Um, potentially working on some Roni and the Quave shirts because yeah, we because we've heard your demands, people. <laughs> we've and, heard your uh, demands. You want you want some Roni and the Quave merch, <laughs> no, so uh, yeah. we are we are definitely working on, on that. But yeah, estoymerchandise.com. And then when you come out to see us do live shows, we'll sign the shirts. Yeah. We'll we'll take pictures with you in the shirts. We will Instagram photos out of you wearing the shirts. Yeah, we absolutely will do that. Buy your shirts, wear your shirts, support the pod. We've seen the coffee mugs have been uh, there's been quite a few purchases of those in the last few weeks, and uh, start your morning off. Right Right with the podcast and drink out of us. Wait, Wait a minute. What? <laughs> drink your morning out of us. Yes, exactly. Estoymerchandise.com. Uh, always go to iTunes, rate the podcast, comment on the podcast. That's That certainly does help us in the ratings. Uh, about last night podcast.com. Is that all the plugs? That's all the plugs. That, that's oh. all the plugs. Wait, you do it. That's all the plugs. Hit that. that that's where we're going to be. See, watch my special May, May 8th. And now, sit back, relax, and enjoy Mr. Peter Seagal on the About Last Night podcast. Oh, you didn't. You're going to set me up for the name. I thought oh. we were going to do that way. Oh. The way that I do it, remember? And then set Oh, that's it up. right. Okay. Yeah. Sit back. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the About Last Night podcast. Now, by the way, I'm now getting to hear how I sound, how you think <laughs> I do it. You just did your impression of me closing out the intro. A thousand percent. <laughs> <laughs> enjoy our guest, Mr. Peter Seagal. Well, the weekend's over, so it's time to chat about it. Got a midget and a Jew, so why don't you sit down and listen to a dope podcast during lunch, dinner, or breakfast. Brad Williams and Adam Ray are here for you any time of the day. So come on and treat yourself right. It's about last night. It's a boring to sit at a concert unless you're, you know, it's Kenny G. And I say that without going to a Kenny G concert. So maybe he's got stand-up dance-along songs. But, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but she she laid into one of the, the lady was like, can you please sit down? And it was during Private Eyes, which is one of my favorite songs. So I was already having a problem with this lady. I was like, pick a different tune and maybe we can talk. Yeah. But, uh, and, and my this girl is at UCSD? Goes, yeah. And, and, and the girl turns around and goes, she goes, we paid money just like you, and it's hall notes, and it's fun music. Why don't you guys stand the fuck up? <laughs> and the husband like then shushed his wife and was like, we'll stand up in a little bit. You're right. You're right. And it was... Uh, wow. Yeah. And then the last song, everybody was up. Yeah. yeah. Peter, I like to open most podcasts with just a long <laughs> hall note story. Yeah. Put Should those I on. Like, put these on? Yeah. yeah. Can get I hear right. you Go right better. ahead. Can you... Uh, there's a button Can't on... anything now. Oh, man. <laughs> Ah, now I can it's, the, it's the fancy, no- fancy it's noise cancellation. We really spare no expense here on the About Last Night podcast. Very nice. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Have you done podcasts before? I have done uh, a couple, um, uh, but uh, this, is, this is up there. 
Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> well, uh, well, and we and and it, it's kind of new for us because we normally just have uh, comedians and actors on. We don't really have too many directors. Like we ha- we had Paul Feig on. Yeah. And uh, and now you, so you're in fa- so you're in fantastic company, my friend. I think well, that Paul and I are old pals. Yeah, I think that was the first piece of information we exchanged. Yeah, after we both were like, great hair, great hair, you know. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you got to get past that. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's about maybe 10, 15 minutes of hair talk. Every then, good uh, male friendship it. needs to get Starts the hair. Comp- hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I met Paul when he was an actor. Oh, shit. And uh, I was doing, I was producing the Jackie Thomas show, which was sort of a spinoff of yeah. Roseanne. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, we hired him to play one of the writers. It was a fictitious TV star and his writing crew. And Paul was one of the writers. And uh, so that's how we met. And then I kept putting him in cameos in some of my early movies. He was an audience member in Naked Gun. No shit. And then a reporter in My Fellow Americans. So, yeah. That's amazing. No kidding. Yeah. Uh, and then he popped up in like heavyweights, you know? He just yeah. kept on... Uh, and then he said, I'm done with the acting thing. Yeah. I want to do something else. Yeah. Is that... Oh, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, when, when he started directing, did he come to you for advice or get, or get any tips from you? He told me he was sick of uh, the acting thing and he was going to take a road trip and just clear his head. And when he was on this long road trip, he decided to write about his high school days. Mm-hmm. And that became Freaks and Geeks. Oh shit! And so he would Probably call me take a road trip. Yeah, uh, yeah, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. So that's all. That, that, that's that's all it takes. <laughs> Just turn it around. Road trip and career change. Yeah. All right. Uh, yeah. So you, you guys were in the film school at SC together. I was not. I went to SC, but I was English and broadcast, broadcast journalism. journalism. That's right. Yeah. You know, Brad and I both went to SC. You and I yeah. should, but Brad. Yeah. Did. But what were what was? Your I was major? the BFA uh, theater school. Okay. Yeah. Right. I wanted to minor in stuff, but uh, that was the one bummer about that. It was my SAT scores weren't at the where they needed to be for my incoming f- freshman class because they were. I think the mean average was fifteen eighty, and I'm like, hey guys. Isn't tone it down or not? Isn't 1600 perfect? It is, Brad. No, Good see, lord. You're, you're, uh, you're, you're revealing your age. Uh, now it's 2400. Oh, what? really? Yeah. See, oh, back in oh, the day. Oh, because you have kids like, that are in college right yeah, now. So, yeah. yeah. And so you know to about say that. you have 1600 today would be terrible. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> that, just, so I'm very sh- special. Oh, well, then I wow. shouldn't say what my real score was. Yeah. <laughs> That'll make me even feel even worse. That's really good to know before we go into a meeting and like we start talking college experiences. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, well, you know, I got 1480 on my SATs. Yeah. Like, get this guy out of yeah, here. Yeah, it's not throw something a, to brag Throw about. a cupcake in the opposite that's, direction. Yeah, Hopefully, just run. That's like Johnny Drama being like, when I was on Melrose Place back in the day. Yeah. Okay, so then you um, broadcast journalism, but then what makes you go? Well, I film school. I I had no idea. Yeah, I was. uh, Are we allowed to like? Do this. this, The protocol is. This is. I mean, okay. Paul and I. I think at one point we were talking about a fake. We're talking about a movie review site that was. Where people, it was like a cum shot movie review. Remember? Okay, yeah, it was like, right. yeah, it was like, oh, how many shots on the wall was yeah, how many okay. movies? Yeah, Good. so, so this, if yes. you're talking about that, then I can go a little. Yeah, people yeah. can. This okay. is everything. Yeah. Well, no, I was uh, a walk on on the football team, uh, tried what? out, and uh, got cut early, and then so it was my junior year when I realized, okay, sports is not the way I'm going to go. Yeah. Epic fail, Coach I, John absolutely. Robinson. Absolutely, <laughs> and it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you you uh, and missed then, out. So I I got an internship at Channel Two. And um, I became a PA on some local, you know, kid shows and sports specials. Yeah, and that was my film school. Nope. Just experience. I mean, just being hands-on around experience. Yeah, yeah. Just, it was that. And uh, ironically, I was doing the John Robinson report later. I was a PA, <laughs> and I sat him, and you know, we were watching Cosby together, and I just kind of stood there and said, 
you don't remember me, do you? He was like, nope. <laughs> had no idea. I tried out, and that he actually told me to my face, sorry, kid, it's not going to work out. <laughs> oh, you never forget those faces. No, you don't. No. What, were you in a fraternity or any sort of... Uh, no, I was an RA. All I cared about was having my own room. God. Your own room in college. That's huge. That is huge. It really yeah. is. Yeah. You don't really understand until you get into the real world yeah. what you are sacrificing by having a roommate. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I started. <laughs> I mean, I started living my, on my own at age 26, and yeah. it's like never again. Yeah. Ne- never going back. And no, no. So you, so you said, what's the fastest way that I that absolutely I can hang all, all the Muppet Show posters in my dorm room and not piss off anyone? Exactly. And then, you know, it's you got your place to yourself, and it's free room and board. Yeah. You know? And how much do you really do as an RA? Pretty much nothing. I was gonna you say. have to tell like our RA, RA smoked pot with us and told us when when yeah. he, when he played tennis if we wanted to come watch. Yeah, so you keep you <laughs> Which occasionally was have to walk the halls and say, "Hey, turn down the stereo and sure. put that beer away," but I'm going back to my room. You know, and right. we can light up together or whatever, <laughs> but just not in the halls. Yeah, and then my guys knew the good and the bad of it was. They kind of knew I was a good guy, yeah. and so they took advantage of it. And before mm-hmm. long, they had tied my doorknob to the doorknob across the hall and lit bottle rockets under my door, just firing away at me. <laughs> Holy crap. That was one day. <laughs> then one day, I came back from a weekend. We, you know, went to go visit my dad, and they had taken all of the furniture from the lounge. Somehow, mm-hmm. they keyed my room, and they put all of the furniture in the lounge in my room, stacked floor to ceiling. It took, like... Six hours to dig out. Like the amount of time in college you spend on certain pranks, like that was involved. Yeah, and it it, like they had to sweat a lot. Right. So I'm not really sure it was worth it (laughs) because like I look at that like, hey, uh, the the RA is out. We got to prank them. The last thing I want to go is, well, you know what I'm into? Manual labor. <laughs> Let's make sure that happens Let's for this prank. Let's about 3,000 pounds worth of furniture. Yeah. And only one guy will be laughing. <laughs> no, I don't know if that was worth it. Uh, and so, uh, wait, was Will Ferrell going to see when you were there? I think he might have been a year or two after me. Yeah. Paul mm-hmm. and I were the same year, but yeah. he was a little after me. But, um, yeah, no, I was there uh, in the Marcus Allen days. Oh, shit. Oh, and, man. like, uh, Phil Joanna was in the film school. The film school was still the barn, no you kidding. know, which was, like, this old building uh, next to Burncrant. Every mm-hmm. building's got a new name now. Yeah. I don't know if Burncrant's Burn still Burncrant. I think it still is. is. And now it's, like, a, a big library there. But that was literally the barn where the film school was. And, and now it's just incredible. I mean, yeah, now it's, it is a Ritz-Carlton Hotel. <laughs> yeah. That, and you know what sucks? The theater school, and I hope to maybe be the actor. I was thinking LeVar Burton was going to be the guy to do it, to, you know, hit it big and then, you know, donate and make the theater school, you know, expand it a little bit, maybe yeah. build a... I mean, I know they've updated the Bing Theater and whatnot, yeah. um, but uh, still where the, the DRC, where the school theater is, is like a shoebox compared Yeah. To, you know, I guess if Reggie Bush was maybe deciding to pick up a theater class, maybe they would donate some more money. Well, sure. here's how you know you've made it. My, uh, my senior year, Lucas built uh, and Johnny Carson donated a lot of money. And there was, there was a, a, a Lucas building and a Carson building. Lucas, yeah, George Lucas. But he named it after his <laughs> wife, who had, then they were still together and they worked together. Whose I name guess. is also Lucas. Yes, was. <laughs> Lucas, Lucas She may have changed it now. Okay. <laughs> so he gets a, a, a bitter divorce. And you know he then de- you know, donated like $175 million to the film school. And he didn't want that reminder of the ex-wife's <laughs> building next door, so that is now a park. 
What? Whoa. You, can't, you can't officially take the name off, but it can, uh, but you apparently can tear it to the ground <laughs> and, and just Holy say "f yeah. this." Shit. Exactly. Oh man. Gone. Yeah. That's that, a power. That's move. power. <laughs> and that uh, uh, um, Adam Carolla says he doesn't want fuck you money he wants fuck me money to where you spend so much money to screw yourself and that's essentially what he did where it's like yeah I donated uh, 170 million dollars but it's gonna be for a park yeah not this advanced crazy yeah. school wow that's yeah. kind of I think that's almost worse than getting the tattoo <laughs> of like a tattoo removed a building removed <laughs> yeah that's uh, uh, see that's yeah. like like your your guy named Skeeter that lives in the trailer park he's got to go get the tattoo removed yeah. but uh, yeah George Lucas has a whole new set of yeah. problems where yeah. he's got to get the building removed don't want to get him man um, so before you came to LA you grew up in New York yep um, I find I find this fascinating and I don't know how much you've talked about it but I'm sure there's I mean you have. I think if you were just to look at your IMDb, IMDb page, um, I mean, so many stories you probably can't even uh, right. I mean, remember because like, right, I'm that old. First, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what was it like working with Chaplin? Uh, no, but your dad was head of publicity for MGM. Yes, is that a correct stat? Yep. He, what, well, is that on there? That's yeah. not on there. Yeah. It is. No, yeah. oh, it's on Wikipedia. Oh, okay. Yeah, <laughs> my dad was at MGM, and actually, um, that's he, insane. He didn't like to talk about work that much, but when he passed away a few years ago, a couple of people got up and spoke. And one of his first jobs when he was at 20th Century Fox was to take care of uh, Peter O'Toole on the set of Lawrence of Arabia. What? I'm no kidding. Uh, basically, he was the guy in my favorite year keeping him from getting too drunk yeah, and made sure he got to the set. Peter O'Toole, legendary drinker. Yes. And would yes. just get sloshed before everything. Hammered. Hammered. Yeah. And there was my dad, first job in the business, picking him up off the floor, getting him to the set. <laughs> but <laughs> must have crushed that job, right? Yeah, he a, did. <laughs> he That's, kept going. Wow. Uh, okay, so he basically then, I mean, head of publicity. So, I mean, you're... Yeah, so he, uh, I remember what was cool growing up in New York is he would bring home 35 millimeter prints of movies and we project them in the basement because in New York you actually have basements. You don't have them yeah. out here in California. Tell us about these basements. <laughs> I'm fascinated by this thing that you're speaking of. They don't have them out here. <laughs> no, not But at basements all. in New York are like the, the size of your entire house. It's the footprint of your house. Yeah. So people, like we had couches down there, I had bed sheets and we made a little theater. And so he'd bring home, I remember oh, watching man. you know James Bond films and, oh. in our basement. Right, MGM had uh, MGM uh-huh. had Bond, and that, yeah. and that was like that must have been classic Bond. So yeah. you were probably going. That to was Sean I remember Diamonds Are Forever <sighs> in our basement, dude. Yeah. So there's no better way to get introduced to the film world than yeah. through that. That's pretty cool. I mean, that for sure probably ignited yeah. right your interest. In- no, no, it was. Uh, I think the the day it really sparked was he accepted uh, an Oscar for um, a movie uh, called um, uh, uh, Ryan's Daughter for one of the actors and I woke up the next morning and our, our kitchen was the Oscar and I just watched the Oscars last night and you know my dad accepted it off stage you know the, whoever was the announcer said and we accept this on his behalf and then gotcha. he gave it to my dad he brings it home to give to the actor and so we got to like hold it oh my god and that was oh. like it was heavy and you just have an Oscar right on your yeah, table and you right, just see right that and go right on the kitchen table I want one of those yeah exactly <laughs> So, because I mean, like uh, I was telling Adam earlier, like I know how you become an actor, I know how you become a comedian. I have no idea what you do to start directing major motion pictures. You bang a lot of people. Okay, <laughs> right there. Just Peter O'Toole is your first. Huh? Bang your way up. <laughs> bang your way up. Yeah. Bang your way up. Sorry. That is, that is yeah. our, you can quote our me life that. That's my bumper <laughs> sticker. Peter Seagal. Yeah. Bang, you you bang and your way Tom up. Selleck. Yeah. So no, I uh, again, I used. 
local channel two is my film school and, mm-hmm. and started uh working for a show on friday nights called friday at sunset okay and it was things to do in la for the weekend so they said okay um best pizza places go ahead just make sure you get the address right and the price of the pizzas do whatever you want I said, oh wow can i make it funny I go, yeah Mm-hmm. So I did a takeoff of Citizen Kane. Awesome. <laughs> and uh, it won like a little local L.A. area Emmy Award. Oh, shit. So I said, okay, you want to do another uh, best pool halls? I went, I could do whatever I want. I said, yeah, go ahead. So I did a takeoff of The Color of Money. And I started uh, to huh. put my then girlfriend, who then became my wife, uh, as a recurring role as a whore. In- <laughs> <laughs> and that's when they knew love was blossoming. <laughs> when he looked at me and said, can you be my whore, honey? <laughs> and so it was a string of things. Do you know the uh, By the way, uh, can you be my whore, honey, is a great name for a sitcom. I, I love it. <laughs> Do you know Tommy Sledge? Yeah. Stand-up comic? Yeah. So I started working with him. He was in that pool hall. Oh, no shit. A billion years ago. And then uh, <clears throat> that led to an HBO special that I did with Meryl Marco, who was uh, Letterman's ex and the one-time showrunner, yeah. mm-hmm. along with him. And uh, that led to the, the first uh, HBO special I did with Tom Arnold, and his friends were these young guys who weren't discovered at the time, Ben Stiller and Jim Carrey and Chris Farley. Oh, and so This is how you meet Farley. That's how I yeah. met Farley. And then um, one thing led to another, and somehow David Zucker decided he was not going to direct the third installment of Naked Gun mm-hmm. and he saw my reel which had all these things on it Yeah, and so then he said you want to come in for an interview and I was terrified because the first R-rated movie I'd ever seen was Kentucky Fried Movie <sighs> first pair of tits on screen legally uh, was because my mom Catholic thought, high school girls in trouble exactly yeah exactly. I know my Kentucky oh, Fried yeah. Movie nice. oh yeah <laughs> and so I, I had no idea how do you how do you behave in a movie interview I mean they wrote the script Mm-hmm. Am I supposed to give suggestions, or is that yeah. blasphemous? So, no one's tell- There's no, no school for this, no right? School yeah. for this. I didn't even tell my mother I was going in on the interview. I was so terrified. Well, sure, because then, because then in your head you're like, well, then I'll have to tell her a week later that I, I, I didn't, didn't get the job. It. Exactly. Yeah. So I, I didn't tell anybody, and I, I I looked at every movie that the Zuckers were parodying. Mm-hmm. You know, from White Heat to Battleship Potemkin, everything, and I just studied them, and then I came up with a couple suggestions, and the one. Suggestion that I guess got me the job was there was a movie at the time. Uh, gosh, I'm forgetting uh, the name of it now, but um, Air Bud Seven. <laughs> Air Bud Seven, and uh, a classic. There, the, the, the turn was that uh, the woman yeah. that you thought mm-hmm. was a woman was really a guy, and it was a, a transgendered actor. And so I, oh. my suggestion was, help me out with the name. Yeah, of this. I know. Uh, was it the Roger Ebert movie? Uh, no, but no. it was early '90s. Okay, anyway, I'm blanking on the title. Um, but uh, so my idea was to make Anna Nicole Smith a dude, <laughs> and so that got me the job. That no shit. Yeah. Thank that, you, Anna Nicole Smith. Yeah. I mean, now, for all the crazy stuff that she's been a part of. The crying game. The cr- that's nice. what it was. The crying. Thank game. you. Thank you. How well, well, um, well done. Uh, how many? Do you have any trepidations going to me like that? To because if you're saying that suggestion like was. Did they tell you later, like that when you said that, that was kind of like what did it for them? Or? Yes. I, later on, when we were on the set, I asked David Zucker. I said, "So what the hell did I do to get this? I mean, to what did I do able, right? Yeah, to be able to direct Leslie Nielsen." And he said, "You actually came in with ideas, and everyone else didn't." And I thought, "I don't oh, see how okay. you don't 
come in with a, right it I seems like a no brainer but I guess you can even if you have ideas you can maybe think like I don't want to step on toes right. so I'll keep everything inside right. I've had meetings with certain writers where because they're the writer I don't mm-hmm. want to insult their feelings by giving too many notes yeah mm-hmm. and uh, you know sometimes you can note your way out of the room sure and they say okay thanks very much I'm glad you hated my script now leave <laughs> so you know it's a it's a delicate balance knowing who really is tough enough to, and wants to hear and have input and, and also they're looking at you with no, I mean you had the Emmy award winning uh, local lo- Emmy award local, local Emmy award winning <laughs> my, my honey's a whore you yes, had my the, honey's a whore yeah, yeah exactly that I was mean, what you were going don't with. you know who I am <laughs> <laughs> I did my honey's a whore <laughs> but at the same time I mean uh, Bobby Knight uh, has that great quote where he says I don't want players that have the will to win I want players that have the will to prepare to win and I like guys who quote sports. God <laughs> right? damn it. I love that. That's yeah. Right. But it's just like in that situation, you you could have gone in there and says, well, they, they want to talk to me, so obviously what I have is what they – but no, you, you, you prepared. You, you, you went in there and said, okay, I'm going to come in with all this stuff, and you watched a bunch of movies, and yeah. you got familiar with the material to the point where you could rap with the guys. Well, it's something that I tell the youngsters today. <laughs> you hear that, you young whippersnappers listening out there to the About Last Night podcast? You got to do your homework. And mm-hmm. so I did my homework on that. And, and even when you deliver something to somebody, you know, if you're a production assistant, IMDb the guy. Yeah, sure. Because you never know. Uh, I had my nephew one time working for me and um, interning for me, and he delivered a script to uh, Chuck Roven, who was a producer on Get Smart. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, so did you say anything to Chuck when you handed him the script at his house? He said, no. I said, do you know who he is? He said, no. I said, you didn't IMDB him? He said, no. Mm-hmm. Well, you love Batman, right? Yeah. Well, that was the producer of Batman. You could have told him <laughs> oh, that you loved his work. And you yeah. might have scored a point or two. To, sure. to quote another athlete, Jose Canseco once said, <laughs> always tell someone who's involved with Batman, you love Batman. And then he went on to say, is that your Coke? Can I have it? Yeah. Uh, it's a longer quote, but uh, yeah, but no, you're right. You, um, I mean, uh, I uh, knew of you very well when I went in for the uh, Ken Jong show, but I uh, still looked up to maybe like see, and that's where I saw the USC thing and like the Paul connection. And I was like, oh, and then that came up briefly in the room, but it yeah. was like, just gave a little bit more food for thought to like, yeah. you know. By the way, you were great. You were oh. great in the auditions, and uh, you know... We I was going to wait till the end of the podcast. No, no, you know, <laughs> to really you know grill. I can't... That's a perfect segue, though, but oh, you, yeah. you, you were awesome. Oh, thanks. And, uh, you know... It's... Hey, the business, right? Yeah, I mean, there's... Is. There's a... As... I mean, I was super bummed because I think I... You know, there's... I've auditioned so many times, and there's a handful of parts where you're just like, oh, I can do that in my sleep, and I'm like super... I, you feel like what your take is for that is yeah. is great, yeah. Um, and then also you guys were also great, and that made it super. You, you you just get so foamy at the mouth to be a part of, you know, to do something fun, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean that was that's just another case of I've been so many of those where it's, and that's what you just have to get into a place um, because you got because then the uh, who's the kid who got the part, long uh, blonde hair kid, yeah. Okay, Marshall. so. Wait, it wasn't the long blonde haired. Oh no, sorry for your your role. Yeah, sorry, uh, yeah, and Tony Cavalier. Tony Cavalier, yeah, also and, hilarious. And, yeah. and we're just asking so we can go maybe 
kill. But you know, whatever, it's fine. We just we we, we just want to get Adam the roller. No, but it's like, oh, but, okay. but again, that's another classic, like, because uh, a completely different look and probably energy than me. Oh, it's 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 all you know, mixing and matching, yeah. and and that's what people don't realize how much that also contributes. No, it to is, it, it mm-hmm. is. And by the way, there are so many times where you go in and you you know, I will interview on one movie, not get it. But that leads to a relationship that then gets me something else. Yeah, absolutely. Because so, yeah. they look at you and they look at your track record. They go, okay, well, maybe not for this particular yeah. film. Oh, yeah. But then, yeah, the, and then when something else comes up, they go, oh, yeah, that, that pure guy. He was really good. Well, writers and directors have to audition as much. And even producers, you know, to, mm-hmm. to get certain properties. Sure. You know, if you're interviewing, you know, the... Uh, you know, for the Dr. Seuss, with the Dr. Seuss estate, you have to go to Mrs. Geisel, and, you know... Which sounds like a Seuss win. character. Yeah, well, you have to... <laughs> Theodore Geisel was the, the, uh, the creator, and yeah. you have to win the approval and trust of, mm-hmm. of the estate. And yeah. So everyone auditions. Um, yeah. There's another film, uh, you did Grudge Match. Yeah. Uh, love that movie. Thank you. Uh, I don't know... You were the one. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, I love... But I don't know, and I'm trying to put this together... Um, were you in you might have been in the room for this and I think you were I had a director session for De Niro's son you did? yeah I was there on a day when Adam Brody also read for it remember that? okay yeah, yeah. So With Roger Musenden yeah casting director yes over okay. on the Warner Brothers lot yeah yeah so I think we met wow. there first which is crazy wow that um, is and I remember I did it a few times and then you gave me a little direction and then, uh, so I guess the point I'm trying to make is, I just hate stop you. being in the room, <laughs> stop being in the room when I'm auditioning for shit, Peter. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, uh, I was just watching uh, The Voice last night, and I was remembering that Adam Levine yeah. came in, mm-hmm. and he auditioned. No shit. Yeah, oh, wow. a few times for the role that John Bernthal got. Was in a great call. Bernthal, the, one of the reasons he got it, he just, he looked so much like De Niro. Yeah, and I, it, you know what's so funny? I'm looking in the mirror being like, like, you know, when you get that close, you're like, oh, I'm a step away from being De Niro's son. <laughs> right. And <laughs> acting wise, I mean, I felt like it was like, I was, you know, and I also, I go out for so much comedy, it was like the fact, to do anything with a little bit of heart and like actual acting was yeah. just, I was so pumped about. Yeah. And, uh, but I'm looking in the mirror, like probably doing weird face things to trick myself into being like, when you do this, you look more like De Niro. Like, put your chin up a little when you talk. Like, just to maybe, you know. Uh, but that, uh, when you're directing De Niro, first time you met him? No, I had actually uh, interviewed with him um, on, I was talking for a while about doing the third Fockers. And it okay. uh, ended up not happening. But um, I met him there, and then I met him on a couple of other things. Okay. Talk about intimidating, though. Sure. Yeah. What, how do you even prepare for that? Well, meeting? I was told when I met him at his uh, uh, place in New York on uh, the Upper West Side, apparently he bought, I think, Harvey Weinstein's old place. And I said you know, to his assistant, I said, so uh, give me some hints. How, how long should I plan on being there? Oh, it'll be short. Yeah. It'll be like you know, 10 minutes. I'm like, 10 minutes? Wow. And I'm th- flying out from L.A. <laughs> for a 10-minute interview. Well, you know. There's not a lot of conversation in these things, you know. Man, a few words. Is Even his he, assistant is a little denarius. Yeah, yeah. yeah, a little, a little, little bit, a little bit, a little, <laughs> little bit. Now, is this the interview to get the job, or this do was, you already have the job? No, this was just you know, my, again, me auditioning, you know, wow. talking about things, and, and, uh, and you're flying to New York for a flying to New York conversation. Yeah, ten minute conversation. But maybe that's all he needs to hear to uh, get a sense. It but. would, you know, it 
that one didn't work out for other reasons, um, you know, and it has to do with who I didn't bang to get to the top. Sure, you sure. know, well, lesson goes back learned, to man. that again. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but um, but I got to meet him, and and here's the thing. So I didn't get that gig, but my relationship there led to something else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It all. I mean, that, and that's why it's always important to be a good person. Yeah. Don't be a piece of shit, and yeah. but also keep. I mean. Uh, it was worthwhile for you to fly out, and even Absolutely. though knowing it was so brief, you're like, oh yeah, you just can't have an attitude of, oh fucking ten minutes, and I didn't get it. What a waste. No, especially when you're meeting a legend like that. It's like I, I don't care if I get it or not. It's also a life moment. Yeah, sure. You know, we but, uh, f- we flew. Brad was in New York doing uh, this Hulu show, Deadbeat, and uh, and uh, I kept up a relationship with Tony Danza's manager for a couple years. Over, I used to impersonate him in my act, and. And uh, and did a bunch of sketches for Funny or Die as him, and uh, and we were trying to find something to work on, and uh, there was a, a series I'd even pitched with, with him where I played like the super fan that was like such a Danza that became his assistant, but always was talking like Danza. So it was two Danzas walking around. Uh, we still should revisit that, but so uh, <laughs> but so uh, he was in Honeymoon in Vegas on Broadway, and I was like, hey, can uh, you know my buddy's gonna be out there already, coast for the podcast? Can we sit down with him? And uh, again, keeping that relationship for like a couple years and we would always kind of check in on stuff. And he was like, I can give you like 20 minutes with him. But I was like, fuck it, man. When else am I going to have a chance yeah. to get Danza? Yeah. And I ended up stretching 20. So I flew out the fort, ended up stretching 20 into 40. And at the end, interviewed Danza as Danza for like 10 minutes. That's awesome. Um, but like I, you know, but yeah, there was a part of some of my friends were like, dude, you're flying all the way out just for that? And my mom was like, how much, how much is that going to cost? Like, is <laughs> yeah. it really yeah. just, and I was like, mom, when am I ever going to meet Dan? I'm like, yeah. unless you have some hidden Danza connection I don't know about. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, sometimes, you know, uh, you, you got to, Put in that legwork and fly and, you know, on the possibility that something will work out. I remember um, one time, and this is kind of a cool story now, uh, there was a movie I, I, tr- I was trying to get going a couple of years ago at Warner Brothers, and um, I had to fly out to meet Matthew McConaughey to talk All him right. into it. Now, a little backstory. So McConaughey had uh, flown out to Toronto when we were shooting Tommy Boy to audition for the Rob, Rob Lowe part. Of course. Part. Yeah. Wow. And... Um, and and remember we went into this shack on the side of the lake and it was covered in rat shit and you know and and he had just come off dazed and confused and so he auditioned and you know it was just not quite the right fit for that particular role but um and also the studio really wanted they d- just done Wayne's World with Rob Lowe and so yeah, they right. wanted Rob in the part so mm-hmm. so that that didn't work out cut to many years later i'm flying out to uh atlanta and he's on the set of um uh, we are Marshall mm. or shooting it not on the set mm-hmm. and so but he doesn't stay at hotels he stays in his Airstream trailer in a campground okay. and I said okay so we're having dinner where are we going we're in a campground I go no yeah. uh, Matthew's going to cook for you I'm like really <laughs> okay so we, he's cooking steak and you know making tequilas and we're in the what? Airstream yeah and talking um, about Lincoln's so, yeah <laughs> and I mean it was totally cool I yeah. mean it was great and I was like a life moment and ultimately he said no didn't want to do it was that possible payback for the Tommy Boy thing? I don't know. I don't know, but I still look at that as like, you know, Matthew McConaughey, now Oscar winner, yeah. cooked for me. Very yeah. romantic dinner. Very yeah. few dudes can <laughs> yes. say that. Yeah. That is, you know, and I, there's got to be a part of him too that's like, I mean, it's the same way, like we're, the Sideshow Network that we do this podcast on, they have a studio and everything they want us to put. We love 
doing it here because there's a um, hey you know I just got this new Skittles candle and like it's a very lovely candle you know, thank you so you much you have candles in your bathroom I do man I don't really know what that means but well, well I mean, sometimes you just gotta go with the, the metro flow, part question it on your drive home and then call your friends who know <laughs> I me I mean you said you try and you, you, you gotta bone the right people um, <laughs> looking at your IMDB page uh, <laughs> boneable yeah, yeah. hate to break this to you but you're one of those people now yeah, you're, yeah. You're, the, you're, the, you're the right guy to bone and just as you probably have a dwarf fucking bucket list Brad has a director <laughs> fucking bucket list so well I mean he I mean, I mean, you worked with Kevin Hart, so you have some experience with the ti- with the tiny people. I mean, he's got a little more energy than me, slightly more tan, slightly. Yeah, well, wow. um, do uh, so when you said you met uh, Farley and Spade, and uh, who's the other one through Tom Arnold? Uh, it was uh, Jim Carrey, right, and Stiller. Jeez. I mean, so you you said at the time, uh, young up and co- or just undiscovered dudes that were. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what were you met? Far- he was do- Farley was doing. Farley was this- on SNL. He mm-hmm. hadn't done the big sketches yet. He hadn't broken through. But um, isn't it crazy? People don't know that. They just no. assume he got on and immediately and like was first, motivational. Speaking. Yeah, like the yeah. first episode was doing the. No, Chip it took and a while. Sketch, it took a while, and yeah, you know it's it really fierce. The competition, you know, on SNL. If you don't have kind of an alliance with a writer, yeah. or if you don't write yourself, right, then you're going to kind of watch from the sidelines, no matter how talented you are. And not a lot of people, I guess, wrote for Chris, so mm-hmm. he had to wait till finally, you know, someone, you know, came up with Van Down by the River or Chippendales or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And uh, so he did this uh, small bit in um, this Tom Arnold special. It was kind of a hybrid reality slash scripted thing. And I remember the he was uh, telling Tom how he was giving him dating advice how to pick up girls so we went to the Glendale Galleria and followed Chris Farley around oh my god and he just improved yeah. pickup lines on girls it was fucking wow. hilarious That's he terrible. would go to a girl with an orange and go hi, hi I don't have any nails can you start this orange for me <laughs> and, and then just start singing to her you know and it just that guy just oozes comedy it was hilarious he can't like he can't do anything and have it not be funny no, it was absolutely hilarious and uh then that led to uh, a role on the jackie thomas show again he and tom were very good friends yeah. i think he was even tom's best man yeah at his wedding and then um after that episode of the jackie thomas show tom roseanne put him in a limo and did an intervention took him off to rehab Mm-hmm. And uh, but I so I had my experience, you know, a couple of things I had done with Chris, and I thought, my God, you know, if this guy ever stars in a movie, it would be an honor, you know, to, to do it with him. You knew, you had that feeling early on. I did, I did, and because he had been in like Coneheads and a couple other things. Just sure. but he stood out though. It's he stood like, out, but he yeah. hadn't hadn't started it, and then you know he got clean and sober, and uh, Tommy Boy came up, um, which was originally called Billy the Third, a Midwestern, and it was a. Uh, terrible script but it was chris <laughs> and uh the only th- scene i think that remained from the original script in the final cut of the movie was uh him changing in the airplane bathroom that was it <laughs> wow wow and everything how, else changed so how does that so you you saw the script and <clears throat> and thought this is chris and, well or I, it was written for him it there were certain <clears throat> things uh that it felt like chris and the rest it's just mm-hmm. kind of a wonky story and it was mostly about uh the farley character and the rob Lowe character yeah, um, right. and i thought no i think the story really should be more about spade and farley you know two guys who don't like each other forced to work together you know to save the town yeah yeah and, and um different op- you it know, didn't it didn't opposites. go well at first uh because you you have to hit this window of the hiatus for snl in the summer mm-hmm. to do your movie and the script was so bad that you know we didn't 
have our shit together until way into August. So now we were pushing into the SNL season, which is like the forbidden zone. Yeah, right. And uh, so I said, you know, the writers, you know, had to go back. Jim Downey and Fred Wolf had to go back to SNL, and I was left alone. I said, guys, this isn't going to work out. And I tried to quit. And um, then I got a call, and I was told that I couldn't quit <laughs> very seriously. Oh, shit. And uh, so I was, you know, threatened with a lawsuit, and I had to, I had to stay. So I, I you know, it was kind of like the old Orson Welles, you know, quote sometimes you do your best work with a gun to your head mm-hmm. i had to ship off to siberia and figure it out and um so uh before i did oj oh, simpson also said that he did <laughs> <laughs> another sports quote i'm he sorry yeah. that i worked with yeah. who i worked with yeah um, oh my god that's right so uh so i i called uh fred and i i was practically crying this one oh, sunday shit. morning at my house i said, dude it's over it's over we gotta make this movie <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to do. You so, cry like Travolta. Yeah. Yeah. So he came over. It's so said, weird. It's so weird. <laughs> I said, okay, just funny stuff that happened to us when we were growing up. Just just write it on a Knicks card, something. Mm-hmm. And he said, you go first. I said, well, the other day I was at a gas station, and I didn't park close enough to the hose, and I had to back my car up, but I forgot my door was open, and I hyperextended the door on a pole. He goes, that happened to you. That was me. So I said, okay, let's write that down. Boom. Your oh, turn. Wow. And he goes, well, it was one time I... You know, filled my car up with oil, but I forgot to take the can out, and so the hood <laughs> flew up on the freeway. I said, "Yeah, that could work. We'll put that down." And we just kept going like this, and just we had no story. Right. We just knew it was about these guys saving the town. But let's come up with mm-hmm. funny shit that could happen on the road. Yes. And we left for Toronto with sixty pages of these that types was of. There was sixty pages, pages of, script. of script, which should be like one hundred and ten pages. Yeah. yeah. And so I had no idea how the movie ended, <laughs> or anything. And uh, I remember one day, Farley and I were driving to meet Dennehy for dinner. And this was, by the way, back then, when Farley was on SNL, SNL was not well-received by critics. The ratings were yeah, really pe- down. Yeah, forget that. Yeah, yeah they're like, was, the greatest cast ever. Yeah, it, man, but right. people this weren't like, really into no. it. Yeah, yeah this was, was a, right <clears throat> to like the Joe Piscopo years. This was after and Piscopo. This was Downey Jr. years. This and, was like Spade, Farley, mm-hmm. Sandler, Schneider. Rock, and uh, Mike Myers. Rob but, Schneider hadn't even come in yet. No. Okay. But, yeah. But and, still, the ratings were... There was a book called Saturday Night Dead just reflecting yeah, that was, what they thought. Uh, yeah, that was the Rolling Stone article, I think, or something? Yeah. yeah like, the, yeah, because these guys weren't who they were. No one knew about them. No. And then... And yet, they've become some of the biggest names of comedy in, stars. you know, yeah. comedy movies of the past 20 years. So, we... You know, everything was against us, and, and Farley said, Pete, you know, people are banking on this thing failing. You know, the only success we're going to have is a victory you know we just got to do a good job and um and i it was kind of cool because it felt like a bonding moment like we're in this together good or bad that's awesome and so every day we just we i would jot down things that spade would say to farley like one day uh, farley comes out of a a wardrobe test and he's wearing this sport coat on he says hey dave does this suit make me look fat and dave (laughs) says no your face does i went oh (laughs) jesus we got to write that down we got to put it in the movie and then, yeah. like, bits like that, besides me and Fred writing down stuff that happened to us on road trips, we'd write down just improv from those guys off camera. They really did have incredible chemistry. Absolutely. And they were great yeah. buds, so they were just... Great buds. Just jabbing and shooting the shit. Yep. And- mm-hmm. Yeah, great buds. And no one would dare say the things to Farley that Spade would say. I was going to say, I feel like that... You could that tell joke that- right there. You know what I mean? Right. It's a fat joke. And you have to have confidence that you're not going to insult... Your and, friend, the, and the person who's receiving that fat joke better love the shit out of you. He would yeah. laugh his ass off at whatever <laughs> Spade would throw at him. And, Incredible. you know, they just were, they adored each other. You, so you were, 
like one of the best comedy movies certainly of uh, Adams and my generation was essentially written on the fly. A lot of it. Like I would once Fred was back at SNL, um, I'd be on the set and like for example we're shooting the uh, Rob Lowe hosing off uh, Farley <laughs> after maniac, the count. Maniac. Well, exactly. Yeah. So I, I the scene was dead. That wasn't in the original script. So I called Fred. He's on the set of SNL. I said, "Dude, uh, I got a kind of a dead scene here." He says, "Well, describe the shot." Mm-hmm. And I said, "Well, I backlit the water. It's kind of it looks pretty. It sprays off and it goes flash dance." I go, "Got it. Thanks." Boom. <laughs> Jesus. That fast, that fast, and then you just because tell knew, Farley, yeah. and then he just does what yeah. he does. Yeah, and God. so then my editor Bill Kerr, who's one of my oldest buddies, he'd get this stuff in dailies and know it wasn't in the script, and he'd call me and said, "Where the fuck did that come from? That's hilarious." Yeah, and I said, "Get used to it, dude. This is every day. <laughs> We're winging it. It's amazing." Wait, so how much room would you? I mean, because Farley came from a sketch and improv background. Uh, mm-hmm. Like, how much would you? Uh, like the scene where he's having to, uh, I think it was maybe the first time they were trying to uh, sell brake pads, yeah. and uh, and he ends up taking the, uh, he's doing the whole ambulance thing, and he lights the guy's oh, that, thing on fire. Yeah. Do you know what? Very little, if none, no improv in that movie. The one scene that we left open open for improv was uh, Farley um, playing with the, the big hooks that were in the factory you know, mm-hmm. and he was kind of pretending that each hook had a personality. Yeah, right. And that was the one scene that we said, you know, Farley's just going to nail this. He's just going to do funny stuff. Yeah. Big mistake. And you know, in comedy, it's like even when you're improving, you got to have an, a, a, a little base. bit of an idea of where sure. you're going. Yeah. Like, where, where's what's the end game here? Yeah. You can't Otherwise just have just a blank jokes. page. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. And so he froze that day and we said, okay, we can't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. So we always had, you know, we had a, at least a base script for the scene. And then we'd have alts, and we'd try things after it. But if we go ever with a blank page, you know, we didn't want to know. We call it no more hooks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there was no, like, uh, so even when he was, you know, smashing the stuff together, he's like, new guy's in the corner puking his guts out. Oh, my God. Like, yeah. another, like there's none of that is, that's all in on the page. Most all of yeah. that was on the page. Yeah. I mean, his. But as a director, you give, you want people to have a little bit oh, yeah. of room to. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you don't want to squash, you know, the life out of them. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, you hope that they'll take what is on the page and elevate it beyond and when this whole process is going down like is there moments where you think to yourself like i think we're gonna do this like i think we're gonna pull this thing off i think it's gonna be good not on that no no i wow i literally thought that this was going to be the worst piece of shit (laughs) i grew a beard (laughs) to hide you know, and I grew a beard to hide. I didn't, I didn't want to be recognized. I just wanted to hide behind facial hair. And I thought, oh, my God, because I didn't know the next day what we mm-hmm. were doing. And it felt like a newsroom. I'd stay up till 2 o'clock writing, you know, emailing Fred back and forth. I think back then it was before email. It was carrier yeah. pigeon. And, and then, you know, we'd... Uh, Game of Thrones, send a raven. Yes. <laughs> and then we'd work it out on the day, but the pressure of that every day... And then, to, and then if you, even if you do have a great day, then being like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do tomorrow? Correct. As soon as I, as I said, that, you can't I don't know how enjoy. this movie ends. How can I You're making the movie it? not knowing how it ends. Correct. <laughs> but what I realized later is... Lauren Michaels' entire career is mm-hmm. start Monday with a blank piece of paper. Yeah, By right. Saturday, you've got 90 minutes of live television. So yeah. he wasn't phased. Wow. So, you know, he said, Pete, 60 pages, that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, uh, okay. Like, <laughs> how, much would, how much would he uh, intervene? Yeah. Well, you know, he was great with, he's very good friends with Sherry Lansing, who was the head of the studio then. Yeah. And so he would, I think, calm her, you know, knowing that. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he's in charge of a movie that has half a script that is actually spending money up right. in Canada. And so he provided kind of a, you know, a force field around me that said, look, you know, you tried to sue the boy. Let him just do his job now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was, once I was up there, I was left alone. You and know? how big is that to, to, be, to be left alone? Well, just kind of be like... I was frightened because I had been, I felt like I had been given this, you know, blessing by David Zucker to do the final installment of Naked Gun. And here I now was squandering that gift by starting another movie that didn't really have a script. So I thought, well, I'm kind of one and done in the business. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, you know, I I was terrified, you know, that I was blowing my big chance. And, uh, but I remember the very first scene we shot was, um, uh, the guys touring the factories in yeah. the Rust Belt right. and the M&M's going in the vent was like the first joke. <laughs> yeah. And I thought it was kind of this divining rod. This is how it's going to go. You know, are we going to find the jokes or not? And we made a turn around the corner and all the M&M's did exactly what they were supposed to do and they went right in the exact slot. I yeah. mean, we were ready with special mm-hmm. effects guys and dude, the sounds of the M&M's going in there. Yeah. Like were so crucial to that cuz you and then Spades, oh, like it, yeah. I mean, it was just yeah. like all And it worked perfectly so. and we thought maybe this uh, at least today was good. Yeah. Today was no tomorrow. We're just going to go got one day, one man. joke at a time, one yeah. scene at a time. So you're asking me, did I know? Not at all. Until finally we started to put it together, mm-hmm. and it actually made sense. And that was like the shock of it all. When, so once you start to see yeah. in the editing bay, when you start yeah. to see like multiple scenes together, yeah. you're like, oh, this oh, wow, this story actually is great. Yeah, and the yeah scenes are and my. I, the other thing at the time is my uh, two children were two and four at the time, and Taylor you know, uh, was the flower girl in the wedding. Nice. And she just graduated from USC now. But back then, when they're that young, they grow every time you see them, you know, sure. between six weeks. And I would go to the edit room barely paying attention to the cut footage because I would be sobbing on Bill Kerr's shoulder. Going, this is my oh, family. Yeah, my God. That crucial time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you said you're making this whole movie without an ending. When did the <laughs> ending come into play? Deep, deep into the... <laughs> oh, I mean, I was so tired. I remember Bob Weiss, one of our producers... You know, he was hiring writers behind the scenes and saying, I think we might have something. Right. And uh, I, I said, I don't know. It's, I think it's going to be a boardroom somewhere. It feels like we're headed for one of those bad speeches in a boardroom thing. But what else can we do? I've and, got somebody who did punch-ups for Steel Magnolias. <laughs> they're, they're, the McConaughey's punch- making steak for her right now, and then they'll come in and punch up your script. <laughs> so I don't know. It, it literally bit by bit came together, and then, you know... Um, uh, the the biggest thing was uh, the very end of the movie. I knew originally that you know I, I wanted Farley's character to speak to the spirit of his father, yeah. Big Tom mm-hmm. Callahan. I didn't exactly know how to do it, and we had ideas that'd be up on the water tower or looking over the town and stuff like that. And then a writer came in. He said, "Well, I'll help you out, but let me just see. Let me just see some of the footage that you've shot already." Yeah. And he saw the scene with uh, Chris and Julie Warner on the lake. Be- and, beautiful, by the way. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I got choked up at that scene. Thank you. And uh, you know, we had to like hope that there would be a dead calm on the lake and have no wind. Sure. And uh, he said, "Well, that's your scene. Do a call back to that. Go back and do another scene on the water, but this time Julie's not in the boat. Yeah. He could be right. talking to his dad, and then you come up with a joke." And I, once we figured that out, I thought we we possibly have a chance, possibly. But I still there was so much that we had to find in the edit room to make the story work. And the weirdest thing is like we're still talking about the movie twenty years later. 
you know because it holds up and that's how you i mean now is that weird to you because it's not weird to me because i want as soon as i i mean i've probably watched it that and dumb and dumber are my two favorite comedies uh so it's crazy that you're here right now <laughs> uh so uh but i mean f- so for me i'm just like well of course it's we're still talking about it but yeah. i mean i now hearing these stories it must be crazy to even i mean to to that we're this no it's pumped it's, about it's, it. it's it's awesome and uh, I don't know, you never know if a movie's going to stick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can kind of tell now, having done nine movies, that it takes about a year, and, and if people are talking about it in a certain way, you go, oh, I think that one's stuck, you know? Mm-hmm. Doesn't it, and your movies can be like a big hit financially. Sure. And, you know, people don't remember them. And this was not. This made like, uh, you know, a fraction of what the other, all of the other movies uh, that I made Mm-hmm. At the box office, but then something was interesting to happen uh, ten years ago. Paramount did a ten-year anniversary and a special DVD, and they were blowing it out big. And bobblehead dolls of Farley, and sent crews around the country to interview the cast and everything. And I said, "Wow, you're spending a lot of money on this. Why? What's the big deal?" I said, "Well, Tommy Boy's, uh, you know, top ten for us." I said, "What does that mean?" He said, "Top ten seller." I said, "Well, it came out ten years ago, so I don't get it." I said, "Well, top ten of all time, Paramount Home Video. I said, you mean along with The Godfather and Raiders of <laughs> the Lost Ark? I said, like, yeah. <laughs> Holy oh shit. God, so, well done, sir. Well, wow. yeah. now ask me how much I made off of it. $22,000. And then once you have, like, once that starts picking up and, you're, and, more, and more movies are brought, or that you get the chance to direct more movies, it, are you going into it thinking, okay, I kind of got this now. I I'm more familiar yeah, with because it because you were able to take a possible shitstorm and sail it into the uh, yeah into the yeah. night. Well, that certainly gave me confidence, but you, it's the same thing. It, it's like a a new game every time. Yeah, and the nerves are there, and you don't want to fuck it up, and you feel like you know this could be the last one. Mm-hmm. And then you know, I I got fortunate because then. Um, uh, I, well, the movie after Tommy Boy was not a success. Uh, it was called My Fellow Americans. It was Jack Lemon and Lauren Bacall. Yep. I mean, that was an honor working with them. Sure, it was Jack, not, Jack Lemon for yeah, that. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, but then after that, I got on a streak of five movies in a row that made you know domestically over 100 million. Yeah, Clumps, then, Anchor Management, 51st Dates. Yeah, that's bananas. And yeah. then with um, the biggest comedy guys still of our you know. And then what happens is you you start to freeze up a little and you say I've got this streak going you know I don't want to blow the streak right now and so then you, you start playing safe you know mm-hmm. and it's the same principle you're quoting sports but you know you see you know the teams that in football you know that are trying to go undefeated and like the 72 Dolphins and it gets in their head you know and so that and that's not a good thing because mm-hmm. then you're not you don't have that same sort of reckless daring that you had on a movie like Tommy Boy yeah. Right. Where you you're so dumb and ignorant that you try things. <laughs> you're not concerned with the other elements that aren't in your favor. Correct. Yeah. So now you, you're trying to be. You want to massage everything and be like, if it's not perfect, I can't do it because exactly. I don't want to fuck this streak up. Exactly. And, th- and 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 that's where the magic like happened in Tommy Boy, like yeah. you said, was just those last second moments and going over life stories and Spade having quick lines to Farley. Right. That like, final scene. Yeah. That final scene, by the way, like again, so perfect, but like. The, Chris, you got to see how great of an actor he was. Yeah. Like, I think the reason I got choked up is because it was, you know, a moment where you really got to see him be, I mean, it was just him in that lake, and it was, I mean, I'm sure you guys on set, too, were probably feeling that, right? Well, 
the interesting thing about that scene, so we shot it, and it was, and Chris is was like an athlete. You know, he didn't believe in his comic and, and acting ability, and so he was trying to cry, and he couldn't. And mm-hmm. so he started poking his eye with his finger. <laughs> Holy God. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? He's like, I can't cry, damn it. <laughs> and so he kept poking his eye so that he could get a tear. Well, he got the tear, finally, shot the scene. He left. We get, as we're rapping, we get a call from the lab mm-hmm. that uh, something happened to the film. Oh, God. And that reel was destroyed. Call him back. Okay. And so two hours later, yeah. Farley's back and said, you got to cry again. We got to do it all over again because <laughs> we never know in Toronto if there's, the lake's going to be frozen tomorrow. Right. It's perfect right now. There's no wind. We got to go again. And so what you saw was him redoing it two hours later after the film was destroyed the first time. Wow. No okay. kidding. And was he still doing the same thing? Was he, yeah. po- was he poking himself? Well, you know, like, he, he, I, I think he actually probably was actually crying since he had to do it again. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So real he didn't tears. poking in the eye that time. And then to follow it up with that joke like that to get, like, when he stand, gets hit by the, um, I mean, bonk, it's like, yeah. dude, it was just like, because, you know, and, and that's what I love, too, is when you get, like, and I was going to ask you, like, how important in a comedy with... Because you got, you got to have some heart, right, in a comedy? Like, how much... I mean, I think Paul's done a good job of that, too, in, in Apatow. But it's like, how much do you tug at the heartstring before you go, ah, it is a comedy, you know? It's a delicate balance. And, mm-hmm. you know, to do it right, you know, you usually won't please critics because they'll call it pandering. But, right. um, you know, uh, we do it for ourselves. We tell, you know, I, I just do it for me. You know, if it makes me feel something, great, I can't predict what everybody's going to think but um that movie uh i think people mention the heart more than anything even though there are a lot of quotable jokes in it it's because it had an emotional spine it was about a father and son and it was mm-hmm. also about you know two guys friends, yeah and it was yeah. also about sort of the death of this town <clears throat> yep and that's what resonated with people and um, and so it's uh, it's something that we've certainly kept in mind in yeah. the other comedies that we've well, done. Well, because, I mean, with comedy, you have to care about the person delivering yeah. the jokes. If, if it's just some idiot getting hit in the head 40, 50 times, you, you don't care about them. Correct. And whether it be uh, someone like, Tom, like the Tommy Boy character or in the clumps, like you care for Professor Clump because well. he's a vulnerable guy. So... Yeah. That's kind of where the comedy allows itself yeah. to come in. Same so, thing, too. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just saying, you, you, you're absolutely correct. Sherman Klump was a beloved character, and I was terrified doing that sequel because uh, it had been a few years since the first Nutty Professor, and mm-hmm. uh, Universal was in a bad place. They had, like, four or five huge bombs in a row, and up comes our movie. Mm-hmm. And if ours had bombed, I think that regime would have been replaced because wow. the first one was so dominant from the, the first one was so yeah. great and um and so we you know nervously took up a teaser trailer up to the top of the hill to the you know uh you know uh, the theaters up up at universal and as soon as sherman clump was revealed on screen the audience applauded they loved seeing him again yeah, yeah. and that's when we said oh great i think we're home free they like him still yeah, crazy. right all these years so and then when you're directing a guy like Eddie Murphy. Yeah, do you have a sit down like you did with De Niro, yeah. like with with Eddie? Are you? Oh, no, I, uh, ten yeah. minutes. <laughs> my my first uh, interview uh, with Eddie. Uh, well, let's put it this way: he's still a patient of my wife's. My wife is his dentist, and um, no, it was it was terrifying because you know he's Eddie Murphy, yeah. right? And uh, no, I and then I was told by a million different people, you know, always go through the ads. 
you know, mm-hmm. he, he had a certain, you know, protocol. And I kept, you know, having to go from one walkie-talkie to another walkie-talkie to another walkie-talkie. Finally, it got to Eddie, and then there was a series of walkie-talkies back to me, mm-hmm. whatever his answer was. And I thought, this is stupid. I'm just going to... And I walked right up to his trailer, and um, this was a few days into shooting, after I'd been warned by so many people, this yeah. is how you got to do it. I just knocked on his trailer, and he's playing video games with the Granny Clump mask on, <laughs> but in his sweats. So he was like, Eddie from Adam's Apple down, yeah, and then Granny up, and he goes, hey, come on in, want to play? And so I sit down, I start playing video games with him, and then I start describing what the scene's going to be about, and he goes, okay, mm. that sounds cool. Great. And then he's, I was about to get up to leave, and I think, oh, that went well. I'm going to go <laughs> sure. get out while I'm going's good. Yeah, yeah. And he stops me and says, hey, did you see that show last night? We just start talking. I'm like, what was all this crap I was fed about you know, the man behind the curtain? I said, right. he's really cool. Yeah, I mean, and you hear these stories all the time about how, oh, uh, like of reps of actors say they're not interested in that script right now. Yeah. And then yeah. uh, and Alan Thicke only likes purple Skittles, <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, I, yeah. I was on our last movie. I was told mm-hmm. that uh, I wanted Alan Arkin to be in, in Grudge Match, and mm-hmm. I just worked with him in, in uh, Get Smart. And I gave the script to his agent and said, oh, he's not going to do this. Alan's tired of playing an old person. I'm like, oh, that's... Says them. Yeah. Well, I hate to break the news to you. He is an old person. <laughs> so, uh, but I gave the script to Alan and he loved it. Oh, so God. that's, you know, you, you can't always... You sure. Know, you have to figure out a way not to take no for an answer, but also not be too annoying. All right, let's just establish this now. If there's anything you ever consider me for, email me at arayshooker.com. <laughs> <laughs> Don't actually go through yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the damn agents. He'll say yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and the next time you work with Kevin Hart and you're like, well, but his cost is a little too high. Yeah. That's when you call me. <laughs> and I will come in. His cost is too high. You can't even escape the midget puns. No. And, hey, and I'm going to do, I can do a way better cartwheel. <laughs> he can. I'll vouch for that. I can do a way better cartwheel. Uh, in, in 50 First Dates, though, uh, well, actually, real quick, just uh, the makeup process for mm-hmm. a night professor. How much are you, did you oversee just, and, well, Rick Baker won an Academy Award yeah. for the first movie, mm-hmm. um, but I didn't realize, you know, how uh, complicated it was. It was six hours of Jeez. makeup every day for Eddie, and to get into makeup, yeah. then it's right. about two or three hours to get out. Yeah, and so I felt horrible that he would be the last guy off the lot after our crew had packed up the trucks. Wow. The the makeup trailer light was still on, so I mm-hmm. felt like I couldn't let him be the last guy off. So I would always go in at the end of the day and talk to him, and then Rick Baker would always be pissed at me because if you're talking, it's oh. hard to get the glue off <laughs> yeah, the face. Yeah. So I said, Pete, can you just shut the fuck up so we can go home? <laughs> he just needs to sit here. So uh, I learned to you know, talk and then let them do what they had to do. But I just, you know, it was great just hanging out for yeah. hours. He probably really appreciated it. And I'm sure that... Well, I, I think so. And then um, the other thing that was really cool is <laughs> um, we'd have what we call Friday night videos where I would, you know, and it's scary because you never know, is the actor going to like the stuff you're doing during the shoot. And that's a, that was the longest shoot. That was a 96-day shoot well, because sure, of all the characters. Yeah, and you have a total of eight to nine hours of makeup yeah. every and, day. And very little time shooting. Right. So shoot, right? I mean, you guys, I mean, would you have other actors in the seats for the other There were relatives? tennis balls for the other actors, and then I uh, did the voices right. of the other. Now, by the way, that's a frightening thing. Yeah. Me, the white Jew, <laughs> you know, doing impressions wait, of wait, all of Eddie's. Please, somebody, let's, don't buy those rights. I want to do that Broadway musical at some point. Me, the white Jew. Me, the Jew. white Jew. And so, because in the first movie, Eddie had uh, an earpiece, and he would hear all of these actors in a soundproof booth 
giving all the other lines yeah. so he could talk and overlap those characters. He said he didn't like wearing the earpiece anymore, mm-hmm. so he said, you know, I thought, well, then what? I guess it's I need a Jew me. to feed me the lines. Yeah. <laughs> Jew. <laughs> he was just pointing to me, but I said, I thought he was meant to Jew. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I, I started doing it, but, you know, it's like I started, you know, being Granny Clump, and then and having to play Mama. Oh, my baby. Oh, I and mean, Jesus. I would have to I feel like he stole your voices. Well, the first time I did it, there was it was like a very long pause. My life slowed down. And oh slowed God! Off. And I looked up at him and I thought, "Is this going to be good?" And he looked yeah. at me and he went, "Okay." And then we kept going. And I thought, "That's you know, it. Yeah. I, I'm in. I'm oh, in." Oh Jesus! And so uh, you know, that's the, incredible. And yeah. then he so so he's just got to do that one part. And you're reading. I mean, I'm reading. So the dinner table scene in the the restaurant. Yeah. there were six characters, so it took six days. Jeez. Four of one four character a day. Yeah. By the way, I don't. I mean. I feel the same way about how I do with Jim Carrey and like Liar Liar or Jim Carrey and the Grinch and Eddie and Nutty Professor. I feel like those guys and only maybe those I feel like those guys only could do those yeah. parts. Yeah. You know? Um Rob Williams maybe could have done Liar Liar, but like physically what Jim Carrey does in that yeah. is you know, yeah. uh beating himself up in that courtroom. Yeah. Like nobody could do that. Yeah. Uh and with Eddie with this, and I feel like I am also just such a uh love people that do multiple characters like that, and yeah. uh it's why I loved Martin growing up and like I feel like he should have been considered for an Academy Award for yes, that. Yes, is that crazy to say? No, no, he should have. Um, it's mind blowing. I mean, yeah. they're they're every person is a real different person, yeah. and it's you're never did I be like, oh yeah, there's a yeah, so he was that's a character that yeah. time. Mm-hmm. No, he uh, he's like no one else, and you know, there's a guy who will take what's on the page and it will change. You know, he will improvise a lot. Some guys not so much. Yeah. Eddie a lot. And it's, you know, he will, I think, surprise himself at times and just start cracking up <laughs> with the stuff he comes up with. And uh, it's just, that is amazing to watch. With it, and him it, working. And then that's yeah. got to be crazy. I mean, because now if he's improvising a bunch as mama to the uh, grandma, well, now you got, I mean, you Well, have... we would write down the improvs. My, the script supervisor had like the toughest job on sure. there because okay. she's writing down all the ad libs from yesterday's performance and the day before and the day before. So by the day, time you're at day six of a six character scene, you've got six extra days of improv. So your, your script for, for a, what started out as a four page, four minute scene is now like 20 pages long. <sighs> Holy crap. But you might as well do all the improvs for everything. And but now that's me pointing at the tennis balls, doing twenty pages of his improv yeah. that are now I'm reading the script, and then trying not to step on his lines so I don't overlap him. That's to me seems like one of the biggest uh, obstacles is yeah. not overstepping, yeah. like and letting him. I mean, I mean, it's like you basically had to develop comedic rapport yeah. with a legend, yeah, and let him do what he's going to do, yeah, and not limit him without any. No. You guys never had any scene study classes together. No, there was yeah, no, no. You played a couple of video games. No, that was uh, <laughs> that was the coolest thing. And and if you asked me during pre production how I was going to do it, I would have no answer because we had to make that up. Because I thought I was going to have the earpieces, and all these other actors were standing by. Right. Nope. And you just isn't that crazy that wow. Eddie Murphy trusted you to to help him give. The, those performances. Well, I'm not sure he trusted me at first. He just didn't want to do it a certain way, and I guess the trust was figure it out. 
you know and but like so he couldn't have liked it out he could yeah. have not liked the way you were doing oh yeah you know you could have been stepping on you could have been nerve i mean you could just have gone totally horribly wrong but i feel like that's a really amazing skill set uh to just and i don't know if you innately have always had this but just and maybe you picked this up from the tommy boy like we got to figure it out that you weren't scared of anything but like if eddie murphy to me was like that would be in my head to be like don't fuck this up but you were just like all right he wants me to do it i'm gonna do it and not think twice about well it. and and then i i'll say that i took that to my last film that i did grudge match and um you know again it was amazing working with both stallone and de niro but bob really likes to rehearse a lot and so mm-hmm. what i the way i interacted with eddie on that set carried over here because bob would say pete just run the lines with me and i'd start running the lines yeah, let's do it again and let's do it again. And then I'd, I'd tell the crew, you know, take five because yeah. he just wants to keep running. And then I realized I'm running lines. <laughs> yeah, Robert, Robert De Niro. De Niro. Step outside yeah, yourself. If yeah. You, if you took two seconds to think about that, you wouldn't know how to answer them. And Stallone's him. in the background. Who took my cherry Slurpee? <laughs> and you're like, all right, man, we're running lines. Easy with the Slurpee talk. <laughs> you, but those are, that's the kind of moment where you say, this is a this is a life yeah. moment. Yeah. Now Who you share these stories yeah. with wife when well, you get home. I mean, you right now, yeah. <laughs> the yeah. only person who cares. <laughs> <laughs> and like look, uh, looking at all the films that you that you directed, uh, the screen legends that have been in your films between your Robert De Niro's, your Sylvester Stallone's, your Jack Nicholson's, your management, Leslie Nielsen. How do you, like? Because I know a lot of actors are different in terms of how they like to be directed. Do you try? Do you try to adjust to? Yeah. Each, like each one of these actors like okay this guy's more hands on I could tell him uh, like Sandler you're going yeah. into a guy that's got a built in empire right yeah. with 51st yeah. dates so it's yeah. like do you just kind of go hey what's up Sandman he's like only my friends call me that and you're like I thought we were <laughs> friends so this is already weird well uh, the first movie I did with him was Anger Management right. with him and Nicholson and the cool thing about that was having Jack Nicholson on the set everyone was terrified yeah. oh, so normally where Adam would be and he still is the king on his set but he was the co-king Right, and so everyone was on their best behavior, including Jack, because Jack was off his normal game. He was in an Adam Sandler comedy. Right, so he really listened because he said, you know, basically, I don't know this world. I know what I do. How do I fit in here? I know Diane Keaton comedy. Right. <laughs> so everybody is different, though. Um, but I will say, you know, and that's the that's the scariest thing is the first two weeks is on any movie is figuring f- out figure it out yeah. is this the person that likes uh, to hear my voice or mm-hmm. would like to never hear my voice? And I remember watching inside the actor studio once, and uh, Danny Glover was asked uh, what makes a good director, and he said, "What makes a good director to me is not the guy who knows what to say; it's the guy who knows when to say it." Mm-hmm. And so. That's what you have to. Uh, that's what you have to uh, realize. And I remember this one time on anger management. I walked by. We're shooting downtown. This is just a couple months after nine eleven, and uh, so it was scary. You know, anytime you see a plane down there flying sure, by, yeah. you know, yeah. the thirtieth floor, um, and and I see Sandler, and he's in an office. We're chilling between scenes, and he's laughing. He goes, "Oh boy, he's pissed at you." And I said, what? And he said, Jack's, Jack's pissed at you. I said, well, what, what did I do? He goes, I, I love this, Pete. I love that he's pissed and you're scared. I said, no, what did I do? He said, well, you're freaking out. Well, you know, he said, well, you know, sometimes you suggest where he's going to move, you know, yeah. and, and blocking. And he said to Adam, you know, I'm the world's greatest actor. You think he'd like to know where I'd like to move? <laughs> and I said, oh, okay. 
And so, um, you know, we did another scene, you know, the next day mm-hmm. and I had built this, you know, huge set and designed it because we'd gone up to Jack's house and talked about it. And How was that? Amazing. Oh, yeah. God. It's this I can little, very that. modest ranch home. And uh, all, there's, it feels like an Aaron Brothers art mart with all these <laughs> paintings on the ground stacked up against each other until you realize these are original Picassos. There's not Holy enough room shit. on the walls, so they're stacked oh, on so the he, floor. His walls are just lined with cool shit. It's, yeah. And Movie then this, posters. Well, and also this blinding corner of the living room. I was like, what is this? It felt like Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know. That's and my you, bat cave. Well, you look over, and it's like all of the Oscars and Golden Globes lined up in front of each other like milk bottles. <laughs> and so he went to the bathroom one time, and I just had to go over and try to look. I couldn't even read How the label behind. Oh, yeah. Because they're all stacked up wow. next to each other. There's, it was a tiny little shelf. Just yeah. So, so yeah. Compared to the one Oscar at, at your dad's at, no, to at your to house, my, yeah. My yeah. Well, that came and went after. <laughs> yeah, night. yeah. But then you go to the set though, and and uh, I remember though he uh, he had just turned sixty five on this one day, mm-hmm. and uh, so you know going back to the Sandler saying you know we'll let him do what he wants. Yeah. Sure. He was just in a in a not good mood that day, and I just sent him a box of cigars, and I heard from an assistant, oh no, you didn't send him a gift. He hates his birthday. Get it out of the trailer. Oh, no. So I had to go and get the cigars out of his trailer as quickly as I could. How I didn't nervous wanna... were you to... I was very nervous that yeah. day. So I retrieved, and I got back in his good graces, though, and Thank he God. got to move around where he did. But that was, that's yeah. how I learned that, uh, you know, you can't, you can't uh, be too restrictive, you know? And right. that, uh, we got maybe like 10, 15 more minutes. Is sure. that cool? Yeah. yeah. Um, so okay, well, so then in Sandler, you guys had some built-in. Uh, we had known each other. Uh, I'd uh, basically started my career with Judd Apatow. As a matter of fact, those HBO special I did with Tom Arnold, yeah, Judd yeah. co-wrote them with me. Oh, nice! Because oh, wow. um, I, I I was doing everything. I was writing, producing, directing, and then I needed help. And so Roseanne said, "I got this friend of mine. He's you know, he's a funny guy, and he writes jokes for me." And he was nineteen, and I was like twenty-four, twenty-five. But Judd was rooming. With Sandler, yeah, on mm-hmm. Dickens Street, yeah, in the Valley, and uh, so I'd go over to Judd's and we'd write, and I never saw Sandler that much, but um, the stories in Funny People, mm-hmm. when you know they were living together yeah. and, and yeah. recording the you know sexual yeah. noises that he made, that was a true story that took place in that apartment. over the pool area in their apartment, <laughs> and uh, in the first apartment because we were in Judd's second apartment now, and uh, but so I knew Sandler. And he was great friends with Farley and all that, but it you know it didn't really come together. Because when you go over to his apartment, you're just you're writing. And when you say go write with Judd, you just I mean you guys were, hey let's meet up and write together. I mean, yeah, we we yeah. did that. We did like uh, three HBO specials. We wrote a fourth together for Victor- Victoria Jackson, which ended up not happening. For a brief minute, uh, he and Colin Quinn wrote Celtic Pride, <laughs> and I did, almost was going to do it, but then didn't. So mm-hmm. by that point, he had bought Gary Shandling's old place. So Judd and I had kind of grown up yeah, together. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So, uh, and so then, Fifty First Dates. Uh, you met Drew Barrymore before. Drew Barrymore, I had never met before. Yeah. Um, the coolest thing about Fifty First Dates is Sandler had just come off um, Punch Drunk Love. Yeah. And when we were editing and he'd be in the edit room, he'd read me these letters that other actors were writing him. Like, he read a letter from Tom Hanks saying it's how It's one of my favorite movies, by the way. Th- yeah. Which one? Punch Drunk. Punch Drunk. That, that how the movie and, and Adam's performance blew a hole in the back of his head. What? And, and all of these directors and, and actresses then wanted to 
do 50 first dates. Right. And I kept hearing all these wonderful things, but Adam said, nope, I'm going to, I'm going to do it with uh, you, Siegel and, and Barrymore. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, why? I mean, it's like Jonathan Demi wanted to do 50 first dates. <laughs> and he said, no, cause I want to have fun. I just want to be yeah. with my friends and I want to have Dude, fun. That's all that's, that's, and that's, that was one of the coolest moments because, and obviously, you know, you see Sam has got a crew. Yeah, he's got his, and that's his Kevin Neelan, but he's and now incredibly Cruz loyal. And yeah. Like, yeah, it's just, yeah. He, he likes to be on the set. It, 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 it looks at that. He just likes to surround himself with his friends yeah. and, ha- and have fun. But, and I think that comes across in his movies that he's having, he's having a good he's time. He's having fun. Them. So yeah. when he's reading you these letters, you're pumped for him, but also like, he's like, look at Scorsese even. Like, I mean, you're like, oh, that's great. I heard he's got some weird fungus on his lip though. You should probably stay away from him. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I hung on there. I was, uh, that was cool. And now Drew Bear, and now you're in Hawaii, obviously. So that's yeah. the shit. It w- originally was written for um, Seattle. And uh, that was where the original writer was from. And, uh, and then Sandler said, I think we should do it in Hawaii. Uh, honestly, at first, <laughs> I think, I I think it was... Pull. Well, yeah. it was mostly, be- I think, because of fun, yes. Yeah. But the mm-hmm. coolest thing about it is then Hawaii actually became a character totally. right, in the film. Yep. And we had to, suddenly the whole cast, we had to hire from the island. Yeah. You know, we shot Which is awesome when that happens. Yeah. Because yeah. It, it really is a completely different movie because of the choice yeah. of Hawaii. Now, Absolutely. with Drew Barrymore, you're like, she's worked with aliens. She's been working since she's five. <laughs> yeah. Can I tell her anything E.T.'s hair and makeup person didn't tell her as a kid? <laughs> she was awesome. We had a great relationship because we got to a really cool shorthand where I would just say small, medium, or large. And she would do a performance. And I say, okay, that was medium. Now give me small. Okay, now do one large. She goes, got it. Love it. Because, you know, we had, and, and I remember when I worked with Jack Lemon, he said that Walter Matthau had a similar thing. He called it LD or MD, less demented or more demented. <laughs> oh, but that was the shorthand that Walter Matthau That Matha seems like right. a brilliant way to do it with everybody, to yeah, have a little, yeah. like, uh, some jargon like that. Just a jargon, because I think you could talk to death. You know, sure, uh, you can overanalyze. Overanalyze and can, it. And Sometimes could, they just yeah. want to hear it faster. Fine, got it. Slower, Done. great. Yeah. So when you hear actors being like, that guy was just said faster and funnier, make a goofier face. It's like, well, if you're just saying like, yeah, goofier face, but it's like sometimes the person is great and you're like, I just, yeah, I mean, yeah. like why some, over? Some people, you know, just the, the slightest suggestion, they don't need a big push. Other people will, yeah, they will react negatively to that. You know, everything's faster. Peter Siegel told me to supersize that moment. <laughs> yeah. Because large wasn't big enough. <laughs> because especially when you come from your origins or TV, which everything's mm-hmm. supposed to be faster, funnier, and right, comedy. Right, You know, that's like the crutch. That's the go-to thing. But I heard someone just said to me, I was working with a buddy of mine, Mike O'Malley. And, Love uh, him. Mike O'Malley, for, awesome. uh, former host of uh, Nickelodeon Guts. Really? Guts and Get the Picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know Mike O'Malley, uh, I mean, from what, Boston, Le- not Boston Legal, um, Boston Commons, right? Wasn't he on with, uh, no, yeah. yes. But I know him mostly from writing. You know, he was That's on right. from Shameless because I did an episode. And oh, then nice. he's he's created a show for LeBron James' life, you know, called Survivor's Remorse. He's behind that? Yeah, he created it. No That's kidding. awesome. And he was telling me, you know, Mike Nichols' uh, line is, just when you think you've nailed the scene, mm-hmm. do one more take faster. And that's Mike Nichols. Yeah. So the faster, funnier, it, it, out of my mouth might sound hacky, but yeah. if you but, say it's out yeah. of Mike Nichols, now it's genius. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, uh, uh, and Drew and Adam just had, I mean, that's, yeah, they, uh, you can't ask for that as a director, chemistry you know, that's that. Real, real chemistry, and, you know, they loved each other, you know, as, as pals, and, um, you know, that was a, a tough time for Adam because his father was dying. Right. And so the set was not always a, a happy place. You know, we're in this spectacular location. 
but it always felt like there was a dark cloud you know over adam he was always off on his cell phone talking to his dad and then during post he actually moved to boston and moved into the hospital room with his father so he could be there the final month wow and so so it was a it was a tough tough shoot how do you i mean you just kind of go hey whatever you got to do do it and yeah i mean it's there's no book about how to behave during a situation like that when someone's parent is dying and slowly you know from yeah. cancer so you just you know you you got to thankfully roll with he it. was pro- i mean but he was professional i mean cuz oh, yeah. cuz also mm-hmm. you you if he was just like yo i got to just bounce and like you guys got to push this like what could you do that, there's, you have to yeah there's, there's not much that we uh, had to respond to during the shoot it it was more when we got into post that's yeah. when things start to escalate and he uh, changed some timing of things whose idea was it to put sean astin in and i want to hug them and high five him. <laughs> he's a friend and a guest on this podcast oh really and mm-hmm. i thought gave one of the best supporting uh so funny yeah no sean is awesome yeah and i i was a little concerned about the lisp thing that yeah. was a choice right but um he pulled it off great and again you know uh i think you know blake clark you know yeah. a, another comic but right. i think I think that's his best performance, and uh, and some critics even likened him to uh, John Wayne in that. I wow. think he did just such a an amazing job of being and, strong and also really sweet and sensitive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and funny, and 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 you believe that that's a that's a dad who's just trying to protect his yeah. daughter. That's it. It's interesting that movie has resonated. Besides Tommy Boy, that's the one that seems to have stuck. Um, there was an article just last week in the Huffington Post. Uh, a lot of marriage counselors have actually said that they use that movie to counsel their you know, patients because they say, well, look what this Henry Roth did every mm-hmm. day to right. prove his love for that character. But now the story last week was that they're using 51st Dates in Alzheimer's facilities because they're taking the idea from the movie and, mm-hmm. and family members are making videotapes saying, good morning, Grandpa. Good morning, Mom. Good morning, Dad. Reminding you who I am so when I come to visit you later today, you don't get angry at yourself for saying, who is this person? I think I know them, but I don't know. And what a great... I mean, how how does that make you feel that you're making a movie then all all of a sudden... Because Alzheimer's is one of those diseases that absolutely wrecks Mm -hmm. lives and, 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 and families to know that you're contributing to the happiness of families. That was amazing uh, a writer friend of mine forwarded me the article i didn't know it was out there mm-hmm. and uh i mean it's just you know uh that's something that i don't think a lot of movies can you know have that kind of experience and that effect that they're now being used you know to help people get better you know you hear that you know it's nice to laugh and it makes you feel good in comedy cures but that's a sure. different that takes it to a different level yeah I, I can't i can't imagine something like that that makes you go oh right we just thought we were Making a little, yeah. making a little comedy movie, and then yeah. Well, on the, on the same token, I use the movie Titanic. Anytime I'm in a situation with a girl, and and she's like, "Are we gonna keep?" I'm like, "Well, I show her that movie. I go, someone's gonna die on a boat. So this is not, <laughs> this, my point is, this isn't gonna work out. Is what I'm trying to say. But we didn't have to watch the whole movie. But um, so all right. Uh, and right now you're doing goblins for Disney? goblins for Disney. It's a big uh, uh, live action slash C- CG hybrid. That's okay. awesome. And it's based on a book by Brian Froud, who's a, a British artist who actually does a lot of work with uh, George Lucas in designing a lot of the, the creatures for Star Wars. And so he's designed this book of uh, uh, goblins and he also has a book of fairies. And so we crafted a story together. That's incredible. Yeah. And have you done, you've done kids? Uh... No. 
This is the first. Yeah. All right. But, uh, yeah. Is there so a different we'll... approach? Do you like sit down with? Uh... Well, I'm working with uh, the guys who wrote Get Smart, and awesome. uh, ironically, they just finished uh, Home, which is a big family movie yeah. hit for DreamWorks, mm-hmm. and so they've kind of got their feet wet in more of the family yeah. film storytelling business and so um you know it's it's interesting because my sensibilities even though all the movies i've made are pg-13 mine are r yeah right and um so now i'm doing pg for this one and it's you have to catch yourself say really i can't the the little goblin can't say fuck you (laughs) (laughs) well i mean maybe for an alt you know maybe let's just shoot it and then shoot shoot it and see how it goes but you know what there is more and more adult humor in animated films and i think that's why they're succeeding don't you i mean like because parents are like I um, don't have to get dragged to this shit and just yeah. Like, well, also uh, the, the, you hear stories about kids that when they find a movie that they like, hell, how many kids have seen Frozen more right. than more than twenty times? Right. How many uncles have seen Frozen? <laughs> <laughs> I could sing "Let It Go" from top to bottom right now and kill it. By the way, because yeah. I've been I warmed up before the podcast. But. So, so like you have to look at that going well. If if, if this is a really great kids movie, there's going to be kids that force their parents to watch this yeah. multiple times with them and I, hate me for it. Y- yes, <laughs> I got to throw something in there for that. I love. Uh, uh, goblins, though, because that's, I mean, you, it hasn't, I don't feel like, I mean, whether it's, you know, gremlins or goblin-esque, but like any of the goblins that were in like Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, like, mm-hmm. I'm just all about that world, so I'm super pumped when I saw yeah. that, and... Uh, By the way, Brian Froud did uh, the Labyrinth. What? Or the Dark Crystal, actually. What? Yeah, I mean, those, that was a lot of his designs. Holy yeah. shit. So it's, that, so it's, so it's, it's kind guy. of a dark, kind of creepy world, but, you know... So the Henson, I'm surprised, so Henson Creature Shop didn't get involved? No, in, no. He's yeah. he's his own thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Although when you you make a movie for Disney, they want to own every aspect of yeah. it, and so well, sure, because they got to put a new ride in. Well, exactly. So the, <laughs> the word goblins is yeah. now uh, owned by Disney. Apparently, so they own goblins. Yeah, it was. What's going to happen at Halloween? I don't. You'll have to get uh, permission. Okay. <laughs> to go as a goblin. Holy crap! Uh, well, uh, so the casting process for like voicing the goblins and stuff. Are you involved in that? Right. Yes, Adam, I am. <laughs> That's not why I asked that, <laughs> What I want to know is, will LeVar Burton be the main goblin? <clears throat> and if not, another USC Trojan could step in. <clears throat> I do want to ask this one thing, though, that you mentioned briefly um, uh, with uh, Blake uh, doing the lisp. Or no, Sean, Sean asked Sean, him. yeah. And you were saying you were a little uh, apprehensive about it. <clears throat> and a similar thing uh, with the heat. I went into Paul, and I, I had the beard and long hair. I was like a sleazy club owner. So I go, looking in the mirror, I feel like I should have an unidentifiable Eastern European accent. And uh, and I had worked on it for quite a while before I went out there just to like be like, hey, it's not just something I'm going to put on. Yeah. And uh, and he was like uh, funny, and like we talked a little bit about it. I even did it in the audition with Allison Jones. And, and, uh, and he was like, you know what, I... Um, He's like, it's funny. He's like, but I want you. He's like, how much have you like done that like guy? And I was like, you know, here and there. And he's like, I want you to have all your weapons like fully loaded with your arsenal, like to be able to improv and everything. And so he's like, your version of this guy who's you know, uh, which you know, which we joked was like a heightened version of me. He's like, just douchey like you, but a little douchier or less douchey, less douchey actually. <clears throat> you know, and uh, tone like, tone down the douche yeah. was the main. I was like, note. Paul, you guys gave me these true religion jeans. I didn't show up with these. L D or M D. <laughs> Let's douche more douche. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He was he was like douche down because you're already too high. But um, uh, so my question, so like, what's the uh, when you see an actor making a choice like that, like how much do you? Do you just have like an immediate like, well, oh, that's you can't do that. Do this or well, you try to. Well, David Zucker had a term: "Can you live with it?" 
And so the reason why I worried about Sean Astin having a lisp was, well, it's funny today in this scene. Right. But after, you know, a couple hours in the movie theater, is it going to get old? Yeah. If you ask Adam Sandler, he had a, a bad Can You Live With It, apparently in um, uh, The Waterboy. Mm-hmm. He had a very different accent that had a lisp and a stutter, and it did not test well. Mm. And I think the entire movie had to be uh, ADR'd without the stutter. Wow, what? And so if you talk about the Can You Live With It, that's right. one that didn't work. And, you know, when Rob Schneider, we had the uh, the, the eye yeah. uh, replaced, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, and, and I, I worried about that. That one actually worked out well, as did the list. But sometimes, you know, those choices you make that are going to affect every day, you say, okay, can you live with it? Mm-hmm. And it's a, that's what's scary. But when it works, it's great because that's a very unique thing, a very, you know, a trait that, you know, that character has now that's only his but it could go either way. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And uh, just and once again, we just want to say thanks so much for taking yeah, for time. time well, thank you and for having me. Coming out. This is. Uh, I know Adam and I love your movies, and we. I looked through the list. I was like, "Holy crap! This this is stuff that I grew up with." Sorry to kind of date you, but uh, <laughs> that's okay. I, I mean, it, it's you. You did more than just make some movies like you made uh movies that like built and not and not just our childhoods but and i don't want to say childhoods because that like you said it yeah it's out right. there all right <laughs> but it, it it really became cornerstones of people's lives so i just want to say thank you for that thank you and before That's we completely nice. wrap up i just want you to know and yes we have touched on goblins and yes we did maybe somehow go down the path of who's voicing the characters uh <laughs> but brad and i would like to now pitch to you the opening scene with the two main goblins as michael kane and tony danza <laughs> hey uh so uh boy being in this goblin world it really is uh it's really pretty crazy isn't it yeah we ha- we, ha- we have to have to wait down here in the sure, dark, sure. And just for the perfect moment, of course, to, 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 to come out there. Now, yep. I'm gonna be really scary. You got my eyes are yellow and they're the size of tangerines. Yeah, yeah I was gonna. I didn't want to say anything, but your eyes are abnormally huge. They the giant goblin eyes. I don't know if that's like that was a choice or if. Uh, well, listen, it's kind of a birth defect in the goblin world, but we're supposed to be scary, so it's gonna work out sure. just fine. Yeah. <laughs> Judging by the laughs, I'm going to go ahead and say that this is working out well. It's co- it's going to be great. I expect a part in a Goblins movie. Hey, here's my invoice. Hey, guys, it's me. Hey, guys, it's me, the Jay Leno Goblin. All right. Son of a good. bitch. Fucked yeah, it up. Um, thanks, Pete. Well, thank you, guys. You're awesome. Thank you. So, that's the show. Subscribe on iTunes to this fucking podcast. Give them a five-star rating so this midget and this Jew can feel good about themselves for a couple minutes. Also... 
Get on your iPhone or Android and get the podcast app. You can also listen to it on Stitcher or aboutlastnightpodcast.com, where you can hear past episodes with great guests like Lisa Kudrow, Paul Feig, Kevin Nealon, Bob Saget, Dion Cole, Chris D'Elia, Adam Devine, Michael McDonald, Jaleel White, Bud Friedman, Steve-O, Harlan Williams, Tom Arnold, Ron Funches, Rick Glassman, Blake Anderson, Anders Holm, Jessime Peluso, Joey McIntyre, and many, many more. I'm Tony Danza. Thanks for listening to the About Last Night podcast. Good night. That's it, right? You got it? Sweet. Boy, it smells good in that booth, by the way. What kind of candle is that? Hanukkah Willow? <laughs> nice. If you like listening to comedy, try watching it on the internet. The folks behind the Sideshow Network have launched a new YouTube channel called Wait For It. It's got interviews with comedians like Reggie Watts, Todd Glass, Liza Schleichinger, Schleichinger. I've been friends with her for 10 years. One of the funniest people out there, and I still have a hard time with the last name, Liza. Our very own Owen Benjamin, that's me, takes you on a musical journey down internet rabbit holes and much more. You don't have to wait any longer. Just go to youtube.com slash waitforitcomedy. There's no need to wait for it anymore. Because it's here. And it's funny. And I love you. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.